unfinished business that uh, David gave Solomon. And uh, we saw him uh, deal with Adonijah and with Abiathar, though he did not kill Abiathar, but he, uh, you know, uh, dismissed him from his service and banished him to Anathoth. And now uh, the question is, what's he going to do with Joab? So uh, 28 to 35. And the news came to Joab, <clears throat> for Joab had followed Adonijah, although he had not followed Absalom. And Joab fled to the tent of the Lord, to call to the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. And Solomon sent uh, Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go fall upon him. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said, Thus the king has said, Come out. But he said, No, for I will die here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus spoke Joab, and thus he answered me. And the king said to him, Do as he has spoken, and fall upon him, and bury him, that you remo remove from me and from my father's house the blood which Joab shed without cause. And the Lord returned his blood on his own head, because he fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and killed them with the sword, while my father David did not know it. Abner the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood return on the head of Joab, and on the head of his descendants forever. But to David and his descendants, his house and his throne, may there be peace from the Lord forever. Then Benaiah the son of Jehoiada went up and fell upon him and put him to death. And he was buried at his own house in the wilderness. And the king appointed Benaiah the son of Jehoiada over the army in his place. And the king appointed Zadok the priest in the place of Abiathar. Alright, so Joab had made a lot of mistakes in his career when it's all said and done. Uh, the last one, and probably the fatal one, was what? Following Adonijah? Yeah. I mean, the fact that he joined Adonijah in the rebellion pretty well sealed his fate. Though there were other things in the course of time that are factors in this. Things that David mentioned. What, what had David pointed out that led him to say Solomon should execute it? That he killed two innocent people. Yeah, which were? Abner. And? Amasa. Amasa, or, yeah. Amasa, yeah. Abner and Amasa. And both of those guys were in about the same situation when it's all said and done. Both of them had originally been what? They were enemy army commanders. Exactly. They were both commanders of armies that were opposing David, and both of them had ended up more or less making peace with David, and while I don't know for sure if Abner was going to replace Joab or not, I wouldn't be at all surprised. Amasa did, very temporarily. So it's almost like these were two enemy army commanders that David had chosen to ally with, or maybe even to make the commanders of his own army, that Joab bumped off both times, uh, presumably to protect David, but I suspect as much as anything to uh, promote his own interests. Maybe none of these things, though, are the biggest reason that David had been upset with Joab. What had Joab did that probably made David even more upset? Did he kill Absalom? Exactly. So I suspect that may have even been the straw that broke the camel's back. But whatever, 
Solomon tells Benaiah, his uh, you know favorite executioner, to go get uh, Joab. But what's Joab doing? Yeah, and the idea of the altar was kind of a place of asylum. You know, although if they were guilty, it was not supposed to be a way to get out of the punishment for being guilty. Joab was guilty, at least of these items. And so Solomon orders Benaiah to just go ahead and kill him at the altar if that's where he's going to stay. You know, wherever. You know, execute him. Execute him. So he did. You know, you feel like it would have been a lot better on David's part if he had dealt with Joab. You know, after the Abner incident, for example, where really Joab was quite insubordinate and should have at least been dismissed, if not something more severe. Uh, but he just kept stringing him along until finally he has Solomon deal with him. Comments and thoughts on this section? So was he still holding off to the horns of the altar when he was killed? Uh, well, I'm assuming so. Uh, I mean, uh, he said he wouldn't come out from the altar in verse 30. And Jehoiada went up. Yeah, and so do as he spoke and fall upon him and bury him. So I'm assuming he went up to the the temple to the altar and killed him right there and there, then and there. Almost sounds scandalous. Yeah. Well, I mean, Joab refused to come where he could be executed in a better fashion, so it's like, okay, that's where he wants him. You can kill him there, too. It's kind of like tag, you know, I'm going to stay at home base so that you can't <laughs> tag me, you know. <laughs> kind of the, you know, if you're going to tag me, you're going to have to break the rules and come in here, but... I guess Solomon wasn't worried about that. No, I think not. He's the <laughs> so, king. Yeah, so. yeah, he makes the rules. Not there, I need to find. I need to have picked up another page of notes. There is a verse somewhere in the law that says something about even taking them from the altar and executing them. But I, I think so. I need to find that verse. I can't remember where it is. So. And that's the only, the only thing that indicates at all that the altar was a kind of a refuge, right? These two passages. You know, where Adonijah did that in chapter 1 and where Joab did that in chapter 2. But I would, I mean, I could interpret that just not to mean that the altar was considered a refuge, but that it's just using that as an extreme. In other words, it's saying if he's guilty, he's to be executed. I don't care if he even goes and hangs on the horns of the altar. Not saying that normally the horns of the altar is a place of refuge, but in this case it's not. Yeah, in this case, it's not. I mean, the fact that they did wouldn't seem to me to indicate they expected that to possibly help them. Or why would they have done it? Um, I mean, the altar was a place of atonement, a place of sacrifice. So logically, you know, you're appealing for mercy by hanging on to the altar. But I don't know of any other cases besides these two. So. Gary, did we talk about, uh, or... I guess, can we talk about the differences between Adonijah and Joab doing the same thing and yet Adonijah was spared and Joab was killed? Yeah. Like what, I guess, why did Solomon choose to spare him versus take Joab off the... Well, I, I guess I don't know the answer to that for sure. However, 
in the um, orders David gave, he did not order Adonijah's death. He did order Joab's death. Mm -hmm. Joab had killed these two men more righteous than he. No indication Adonijah had done that. So, I mean, we're not really told the reasoning, but I suspect that's the reason, is that, you know, Joab deserves to be executed because he killed those two men. Adonijah rebelled and revolted, but he hadn't killed anybody. He didn't do anything worthy of death, quote-unquote. Right, <laughs> right, until he tried to take the concubine. Hmm. Other comments or thoughts? All right, how about 36 to the end of the chapter? Now the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Build for yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there, and do not go out from there to any place. For on the day that you go across, go out and cross over the brook Kidron, uh, you will know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood will be on your own head. Shimei said to the king, Your word is good. Uh, as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shimei lived in Jerusalem many days. But it came about at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away to Achish, the son of Maacah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei, saying, Behold, your servants are in Gath. Then Shimei rose and saddled his donkey and went to Gath, to Achish, to look for his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and returned. So the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you, saying, You will know for certain that the day that you depart and go anywhere, you will surely die? And you said to me, The word which I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and the command which I have laid on you? The king also said to Shimei, you know all the evil which you acknowledge in your heart, which you did to my father David. Therefore the Lord shall return the evil on your own head. But the king, but King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he, fell, he went out and fell upon him so that he died. Thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. So Shimei was the guy who'd done what? Cursed David. Cursed David and... Through yeah, through whatever, <laughs> when he was fleeing from Absalom and then, you know, begged for forgiveness and for mercy as soon as David came back victorious. And uh, so, you know, he's one of the guys that David had told Solomon to deal with. Um, and, and Solomon basically issued some conditions for Benaiah that Benaiah agreed to. And basically, what were the conditions? Conditions for Shimei. Shimei, what did I say? Benaiah. So, sorry about that. Okay. Yeah, for Shimei. What were the conditions for Shimei to uh, stay alive? You stay in Jerusalem. Yeah, he had to stay in Jerusalem. You stay here, you'll be okay. House arrest. Yeah, more or less, that's right. At least city arrest. <laughs> and uh, so he agreed to that. You know, sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Execution or stay in the city, I think I'd choose staying in the city. However, what happened? Away. Yeah. Some servants of his, a couple of them ran away to Achish, king of Gath. So guess what Shimei I did? Ran after him. What do you think about that? Well, maybe he forgot. It had been a long time, after all. In a couple years? Probably not a good thing to forget. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's kind of life-altering. Yeah. 
<laughs> that's a good Literally. term. <laughs> you know, and you think about, is, is there a logical reason Solomon might have, have told him he wanted him to stay in Jerusalem? I think so. Keep him under surveillance. Makes sense. So, I mean, and he'd agreed to it, and I don't know. It looks to me like he kind of took the threat lightly, maybe took the grace of Solomon lightly. I don't know. That wasn't very smart. I mean, maybe he thought Solomon wouldn't notice, wouldn't care. Maybe he did. I don't know. But, you know, Solomon said, hey, you've done this to yourself. You agreed. And then you left Jerusalem, you're a toast. And so, who killed him? Benaiah. You know, who else? <laughs> so, uh, so, you know, we've got some key rivals eliminated. By the time we get rid of Adonijah and Joab and Shimei. And, uh, and we've got now, you know, as it said in verse 35... You know, Benaiah is the commander of the army, not Joab. Zadok's the priest, not Abiathar. So we've really got kind of a new administration. We've gotten some of the uh, people who were Adonijah enthusiasts out of the way. And Solomon has a more secure grasp of the kingdom. Comments and questions? They told Solomon as soon as he left, so it's almost like he had people watching him. Yeah. That was what I was going to say. Might well have. <laughs> yeah. All right, so chapters 1 and 2 are really just kind of the transition of power from David to Solomon. Solomon, uh, you know, dealing with the, the people who potentially could undermine and destroy his kingdom. Now we've got Solomon, you know, securely reigning as king. And now we have his actual reign, which begins with an amazing opportunity. So chapter 3, verses 1 to 3. Solomon formed a marriage alliance with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her to the city of David until he had finished building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall around Jerusalem. The people were still sacrificing on the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days. Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense on the high places. All right, this is the introduction to what we're going to see in this chapter, but it brings up a couple of interesting points. Who had Solomon married? tell you about Solomon? He's just like his dad. In what way? He's kind of attracted to women. Okay, well, yeah. I can buy that. What else did it tell you about him? He thought he needed um, political alliances. Are you surprised he managed to get this one pulled off? I mean, think about who Israel was and a descendant of an Israelite slave becomes Pharaoh's son-in-law in a political sense, an international sense, you know, Israel's come a long ways. You know, they've kind of come up in the world. I mean, Solomon is leading his little nation into world-class, you know, diplomacy and, you know, political you know, affairs and so forth. And so, in one sense, it's kind of uh, amazing that they've gotten <laughs> to do that, but, I mean, he wasn't supposed to marry foreign women. 
We know that all along. And we're going to see Pharaoh's daughter reappear from time to time in this account at, you know, in ways that kind of show how this was kind of the beginning of the downfall of Solomon almost. She was uh, I, maybe even his favorite wife, and that is not a good thing. Um, but besides marrying Pharaoh's daughter, what else do we learn about Solomon doing here? Letting him sacrifice on high places. All right, we do have that. Now, this is kind of an interesting situation because we don't have the tabernacle on the altar at the same place, from what we can tell. The tabernacle on the ark at the same place. Where was the ark? Here Had been, not now. Oh. Is it in the house of Obadiah? Or is it ha Obed-Edom had oh. been, but not now. Oh. David brought it back. David brought it back to... Oh, yeah. <laughs> Where? Jerusalem. Jerusalem, exactly. Second Samuel 6, right? Not, yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, First Chronicles 15. Oh. But had never been in Jerusalem before. So he didn't bring it back to Jerusalem. He brought it to Jerusalem. Oh. What do I? I just said, oh. But where was it? If there was no temple. Or was it was wherever the tabernacle was, which was wherever Eli was. Well, it had been back there where the tabernacle was with Eli. What city was that? Shiloh. That's right. And what happened to Shiloh? It was destroyed. It was destroyed, Jeremiah 7. Or yeah, so it, it's no more. And the, the ark was taken. Ark was taken yeah. I think in the same battle, probably. We are actually not told historically the destruction of Shiloh, but Jeremiah 7 mentions that. There's no more indication Shiloh's around. So we're assuming Shiloh was destroyed. Certainly the ark was taken by the Philistines, and it went through a series of uh, places until finally David brought it to Jerusalem. Remember David in Jerusalem... I mean, David was the one who made Jerusalem an Israelite city. Prior to David, Jerusalem had been controlled by what uh, people? Jebusites. That's right, the Jebusites. So, I mean, under David, Jerusalem actually becomes a uh, Israelite city, and he brings the ark there. But that is not apparently where the tabernacle was. The tabernacle apparently was still in Gibeon, where it apparently had gone after Shiloh. So. We still don't have the total centralization of worship until Solomon builds the temple in Jerusalem. You get the temple and the ark together in Jerusalem. That is the place where God has caused his name to dwell on. No sacrificing was to be done on any other place, any other high place or whatever after this point in time. The other thing you learn here is that David was a man of great building projects. In verse 1, he built his own house, the house of the Lord, and the wall around Jerusalem, along what we know with some other things. All right, comments and questions on all of this? Yeah, I'm confused um, because it was okay for them to sacrifice at the high places until um, Jerusalem was officially consecrated or whatever. I agree with that. So is it kind of like verses 2 and 3 which are saying it's a negative thing that Solomon did that are they kind of looking at it in retrospect because you know maybe at the time that it was written it was a negative thing but at the time that it was done it was not I don't see them being negative about that in verse 2 the people were oh, really? still sacrificing in the high places because there was no house built for the name of the Lord until those days so I think he's there okay. this is saying it wasn't wrong 
Then in verse 3, Now Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of his father David, except he sacrificed and burned incense in the high places. But I don't see that as being a negative thing for him. In fact, verse 4 says, The king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there, for that, that was the great high place. Solomon offered a thousand burnt offerings on that altar, and that's where the Lord appeared to him that night with right. the outstanding uh, proposal. So I don't really think he's trying to be negative about Solomon doing that, at least not until the temple was built. Okay, I saw the except in um, verse 3 as being a negative. Like, he I loved understand. the Lord and obeyed the commandments of David, except for the fact that he sacrificed on the houses. <laughs> yeah, but I think in the overall context, it's not a okay. negative thing. That, that's my opinion. Other thoughts uh, through three and four. <laughs> no. Is he maybe just saying that David didn't do that, but Solomon is? Yes. And that's so. maybe a good thing? Well, it's maybe indifferent. Yeah. <laughs> All right, five to 15. In Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream at night, and God said, Ask what you wish me to give you. And Solomon said, You have shown great loving kindness to your servant David, my father, according as he walked before you in truth and righteousness and uprightness of heart toward you, and you have reserved for him this great loving kindness, that you have given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. Now, O Lord my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, yet I am but a little child. I do not know how to go out or come in. Your servant is in the midst of your people, which you have chosen, a great people who are too many to be numbered or counted. So give your servant an understanding heart to judge your people, to discern between good and evil, for who is able to judge this great people of yours? It was pleasing in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. God said to him, Because you have asked this thing, and not asked for yourself long life, nor have asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but but have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice, Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart, so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall one like you arise after you. I have also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days. If you walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and commandments, as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. Then Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord, and offered burnt offerings and made peace offerings and made a feast for all his servants. Well, uh, the Lord appeared to Solomon in Gibeon in a dream and told him what? Three wishes. <laughs> yeah. What do you want? Wow. Isn't that amazing? Ask what you wish me to give to you. You know, ask, ask me whatever you want. What would you do if you had an opportunity like that? Not the right thing. <laughs> that was a trick question. Mm-hmm. Isn't that exactly what the New Testament tells us? Wait, this was a trick question? No, my question was a trick question. Oh. When I said, what would you do if you had that opportunity? Isn't that exactly the opportunity God gives us in the New Testament over and over again? You know, we, we often don't think about it that way. But there's all kinds of passages where God tells us the same thing. In passages like Matthew 7, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. You know, 
Matthew uh, 21, 22 says, uh, All things you ask in prayer, believing you will receive. And, uh, you know, just lots of passages like that. Uh, John 14, 15, 16, Luke 11, James 1, 6. We're also told, you know, that we can ask and God gives. So it's interesting to think about Solomon getting this opportunity, but we ought to reflect on only wonder what we are doing with this opportunity. It's exactly what God tells us. Now, I understand that in all cases this is based on the will of God. But sometimes we say that in a way that makes it seem like, oh, so you're saying it doesn't really happen. Well, put it this way. If we could push a button, and make a request to God that he would grant us, regardless of whether it was his will or not. Would you ever push the button? <laughs> well, of course. <laughs> I say no. Wouldn't that be terrifying? To think that you could actually overrule the will of God and ask for something that he didn't see as best. You know, I think if we didn't know that God would overrule our request, we'd be afraid to ask for anything. Because how do we know? So thankfully, he's not going to give us matches, even if we ask for it. But, you know, according to his will, he does answer prayers. He does do what he did for Solomon. And in fact, you know, the amazing passage on this for us is James chapter 1, which makes exactly the same offer. You know, in verse 5, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously, not just to Solomon, and without reproach, and it would be given to him, and so forth. So, you know, if we lack wisdom, we can ask, and we can receive the wisdom Solomon received. Uh, so I think this is, uh, you know, kind of interesting that he's really asked Solomon something, or would give Solomon an opportunity that we have as well. And Solomon made the most of it. Solomon remembered what God had done in his life, in verse 6. And how does Solomon reason about what he wants to ask? What's he thinking about? So he sees himself as Inadequate. Yes. Big key to this. You know, he needs help. He needs the Lord's wisdom and instruction. He doesn't know how to be a good leader of this people without God's wisdom. And what else is he thinking about? What God has done. Yes. And? What makes him feel the responsibility of leading this people? Yeah, his people people? That's exactly right. You know, what a tremendous responsibility to lead the people that belong to God. And so he is asking in favor of God's people, not of himself. You know, he's not seeking something for himself, but he's seeking for an understanding heart to be able to judge this great people of yours. It is so important that our requests reflect God's priorities and that we want what God wants. Really, look at verse 10. It was pleasing 
in the sight of the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. The goal of our worship and even the goal of our praying ought to be to please God. You know, we often forget the prince, that principle. So we debate how to get worship to cater to our needs, that is, likes, instead of worship that pleases God. We ought to pray in ways that please God and worship in ways that please God. Pleasing God ought to be our highest goal. So he pleases God by thinking humbly of himself and seeing the responsibility of leading God's people and he asks for wisdom. And what does God do for him? Yes, exactly. God is very pleased. God wants to give. In fact, remember Ephesians 3? Gives exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we ask or think. Well, here's an illustration. Solomon asked wisdom. Did Solomon get wisdom? Yes. Is that all he got? No. God gave him way more than what he had asked or thought. Um, So, this is a very encouraging thing. However, there is a kind of a condition on this. You know, if you walk in my ways, in verse 14, keeping my statutes and commandments as your father David walked, then I will prolong your days. God is going to give Solomon wisdom, but he's not going to overrule Solomon's freedom of choice, his free will to decide what he, how he's going to live. All right, comments and questions? He woke up and it was just a dream. It was real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, in this case, the dream was real. Yeah. <laughs> well, we don't have to wait long to see how effective Solomon's wisdom was. <clears throat> but really, you could look at much of the rest of Solomon's life as a demonstration of the wisdom. You'll see his wisdom in judgment here now, his wisdom in conducting the affairs of government in chapter 4, and in his teaching in the end of chapter 4, and his building, and in a whole bunch of things. Solomon was a wise man in every way. But no place shows his wisdom perhaps more than this little story in 16 to 28. And two women who were harlots came to the king and stood before him. The one woman said, O my Lord, this woman and I live in the same house, and I gave birth to a child while she was in the house. It happened on the third day after I gave birth that this woman also gave birth to a child, and we were together. There was no stranger with us in the house, only the two of us in the house. This woman's son died in the night because she lay on it. So she arose in the middle of the night and took my son from beside me while your maidservant slept, and laid him in her bosom and laid her dead son in my bosom. When I rose in the morning to nurse my son, behold, he was dead. But when I looked at him carefully in the morning, behold, he was not my son, whom I had born. Then the other woman said, No, for the living one is my son, and the dead one is your son. But the first woman said, No, for the dead one is your son, and the living one is my son. Thus they spoke before the king. Then the king said, The one says, This is my son who is living, and your son is the dead one. And the other says, No, for your son is the dead one, and my son is the living one. The king said, Get me a sword. So they brought a sword before the king. The king said, Divide the living child in two, and give half to the one, and half to the other. Then the woman whose child was the living one spoke to the king, for she was deeply stirred over her son, and said, O my lord, give to her the living child, and by no means kill him. But the other said, He shall be neither mine nor yours. Divide him. 
Then the king said, Give the first woman the living child, and by no means kill him. She is his mother. When all Israel heard of the judgment which the king had handed down, they feared the king, for they saw that the wisdom of God was in him to administer justice. That's pretty cool. You know, you got this case of these two women with the little child, and they're both claiming the live one and claiming the dead one's the other one. But what basis do you have to make a judgment in this? Normally, in a court of law, you might rely on what? Witnesses. Witnesses. That would be handy, however. There were no strangers with us in the house. There were no strangers in the house, and furthermore... It was just the two of us. And furthermore... They didn't have DNA testing yet. And furthermore... <laughs> one of them claimed she was asleep when it happened. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've not got a whole lot of witness to this business. And uh, their claims are diametrically opposed. You know, it's like, no, he's not, no, she's not, you know, whatever. Kind of, uh, kind of funny. Uh, so what do you have to go on? You know, how do you know, as Solomon, who the real mother is? You know, will the real mother please stand up? Or whatever. Um, but Solomon very wisely, you know, and very... Um, I would say, uh, with a good uh, brisk pace, you know, calls for sword. When it's brought, he orders the execution of the living child, just like that. And of course, that brings the true mother begging for her son's life, give him to the other woman. You know, she'd rather have him alive than dead. And the other woman's like, no, divide him in two, that's fair. <laughs> She, she didn't realize where this was going, obviously. And, and, and you know, that tells you something about her. The one who, who's, whose child was truly dead, what was her attitude? Vindictive. I mean, she didn't, she didn't have a son, didn't want the other woman to have one either. Exactly. That's exactly what it was. You know, she doesn't love the child. She just doesn't want her rival to have a child when she doesn't. You know, so that, that's really a bad attitude. Uh, pretty cruel, though you could imagine sometimes people having attitudes like that. You know, I just think it's interesting that Solomon... You know, I, I mean, maybe somewhere along the line somebody th think of trying to do something like that. You know, to tell who the real mother was, I don't know. But I think his decisiveness and his uh, rapid pace makes this impressive. I might have said, well, maybe we could divide the uh, living one in two or whatever. But I don't think I would have ordered the sword brought and ordered the execution already. I'd be afraid it wouldn't work. <laughs> We'd have two dead kids on our head, <laughs> you know. But Solomon has confidence in, in the wisdom God has given him, and he makes the decree, and probably that brought the, the, the one whose, whose child was really alive, you know, begging for mercy even more quickly, as it looked like, this is going to happen right like that. You don't have to, have to think about it. You just react. Uh, so everybody hears about that. The verdict spread like wildfire, and uh, you know, everybody admired how much wisdom God gave him. Comments and questions? You think Benai brought the sword? <laughs> I was at all surprised. No, he just falls. He on just falls. Yeah. <laughs> 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 they've been, 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 been guy. <laughs> 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 they've been 
biggest guy. But they didn't the need a big fat guy for just a small baby. <laughs> <laughs> well, apparently the one lady fell on her baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happened there. <laughs> I'll bet there were some new living arrangements by the other day, too. Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, yeah you would hope that. Uh, wow. She might uh, try it again. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, that's uh, true. That is, that is really a bad attitude. But it is the attitude we have when we are jealous. You know, when I'm just upset that you've got it. It's not, it's not mine. I don't have no claim to it. But if I can't have it, I don't want you to have it. You know, what a what a bad attitude that is, but how many times is that in us? You know, wow. I mean, it's hard. You know, I mean, even with a child, think about it. I mean, wow. You know, it's hard if you want to have children and aren't being able to and other people start having children and all that. That can be just really painful. You know, and we have to work on ourselves to still be pleased that the Lord is blessing others. But in emotional things like that, it's a hard thing to feel. You know, it, it really tests us a lot. So, I mean, you know, in some ways you can see this, but certainly Solomon exposed the cruelty of, of this jealousy. Other thoughts? So, like the wisdom that God gives us, like spiritual wisdom, um, is wisdom for us, but to worldly people it seems like foolishness a lot. But this wisdom that Solomon has here, even worldly people would, you know, see that's pretty clever, uh, really wise. So, like, what kind of wisdom did God give Solomon? Because he really derailed later in his life. Um, is there not really a distinction like that? I don't know that I've thought about how to answer that question before. Um, I would say, first of all, that Solomon probably had wisdom beyond just spiritual wisdom even because of the end of chapter 4 he was sort of an expert on flora and fauna and you know other things like that uh, you know and animals and you know he was he kind of had just wisdom of all kinds uh, and was a poet and, and this that, and the other thing and w even wisdom in the buildings and in the administration so I think his wisdom is probably broader on the other hand I wouldn't say that everybody would necessarily even see the wisdom what Solomon did here I guess it was a spoof I don't know how seriously it was taken but I mean Mark Twain made fun of what Solomon did right what? man I think I'm right about that that, that Mark Twain you know, made fun of. Maybe I don't know if it was seriously or not. Mark Twain wasn't very respectful. Uh, but but I don't remember what game. book or whatever. <laughs> I was thinking it was like Tom Sawyer or Huck Finn or something, where he made fun of the idea Solomon wanted to divide the live child. Nobody remembers that. Apparently, he did say stuff about Solomon. Oh, you're looking on Google. Mm -hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, I think he did. I think that's actually true, but I'm surprised. Maybe it looks like it was in Huck Finn. Yeah, I thought so. I read that, but I don't remember. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the, the good and bad thing about me is I can remember things from my uh, school days. I don't remember anything that happened yesterday, though. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if you meant it just to be funny, but he was very critical of a lot of, pretty skeptical of a lot of things, so... He may have meant that as a criticism on Solomon. So I, I doubt that everybody would even admire this, but it, in that day, certainly it did increase his fame. Yeah. 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 Y
Other thoughts? Well, uh, Solomon showed his wisdom in the administration, so chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. King Solomon was king over all Israel, and these were his officials, Azariah the son of Zadok, the priest, Delar, Paragraph, and Ahijah the son of 